Hi, Chloe. How are you? Hello. I'm well. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much great for joining us. Great to be us. here. Oh, it's my pleasure. We, we saw you get into a conversation there, so we thought, okay, well, let's move to another topic, and when we see your conversation break, <laughs> and then I saw your head poke around, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, well, I'm always happy to talk to uh, board members of DRI Canada. So. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. You have to. I absolutely do have to. We're very happy to always support our oldest and uh, our oldest partner um, outside of the United States. So it's nice to be able to be here in Toronto to combine a visit to the conference with um, meetings with them. What do you think of the conference so far? I've been enjoying because it. You, you, you are a big part of this. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, DRI Canada is one of the organizing members, so I'm always happy to come and support their work here. And uh, I've enjoyed it. You know, it, it's uh, unique from the conferences that we have in the U.S. that I go to where there isn't this combination with emergency management. So yeah. um, actually, we have people at the IAEM conference this same week in the U.S., but it's totally separate from the business continuity. So it's kind of ah, nice okay. to see them combined here. Um, although we have uh, signed a partnership agreement with IAEM most recently, so we're hoping to kind of improve on some of those uh, relationships in future. Chloe, why do you think in the United States the, the public and private sector conferences are separate? Mm. <laughs> well, I, I think that there's just kind of a break. I think some of it was um, around uh, the, the kind of 2008 period when uh, FEMA was putting out direction that companies should should uh, you know get certified against a standard and a lot of them were concerned about the liability associated with saying well we've audited against this standard and therefore we're prepared and then if something happens are they then liable for what they've disclosed when certifying against that standard we were involved in a lot of conversations at that time with the, the private sector to try to say to air their concerns and I, I feel like at that point there was sort of a, almost a little bit of a break between the two I think that there has been some change with the 2017 hurricane season. After that, the, pub, the, the public sector, um, there, there was some legislation passed that enabled it so that FEMA resources could be allocated to preparation and preparedness and resilience building initiatives, not just to immediate emergency response. And so I think that represents a big change. And we've certainly seen that for example, right now we're doing a large uh, statewide training with the state of Maryland because they're very interested in kind of improving this resilience at the state level and not just in the business continuity, but also in the cyber resilience side. Nice. It's interesting you just said state of Maryland. It's, does each state do something different? And is that a challenge for, for you, even if for, for DRI? Is that a challenge? No. Well, that's part of the challenge of the U.S. system, and it's also one of the beauties of the U.S. system, right? You have 50 different healthy democracies that can try out all kinds of ideas. That is certainly true within the U.S. I mean, I've had some conversations with, you know, the National Guard, for example, and, and they're saying, well, you know, yes, we have 50 different um, states, but we all have a call. And so, you know, we've heard about what you're doing with the state of Maryland. It's really great. And, and that's a great place to kind of let the other states know. So we're in conversation with other states as well. But it is one conversation at a time and then also a totally separate conversation with the federal government. So mm -hmm. we have all of those all the time. I wanted to ask you, obviously, I was at and of course you were at DRI's conference in Las Vegas in February. Uh, that was amazing. Thank you. We've seen you at other conferences this year. You're, you're in Toronto this week. What's been your perspective of going back to in-person events 
after COVID? Like, what have you seen that is now maybe either temporarily or permanently different? Well, I'm delighted. <laughs> and I would <laughs> describe the the feeling in Las Vegas, which was a very, it was like really like the first show. And uh, I would say that people were kind of giddy. Yes. Like just so happy to see each other because with the virtual events, you can get a lot of the information and that's great. And, you know, we certainly put out a lot of information. I would say we even put out more information than normal during COVID. Uh, business continuity in general has been a rather popular topic, not just within the industry, but more broadly. Um, so the information piece was, was there and was strong, but it's that connection. Piece. Yeah. You know, a lot of these teams are relatively small and it's so vital to have those in-person, off the record, you know, conversations around a lunch table or a breakfast table. And we saw a lot of those in Las Vegas. I, I particularly love this one where I saw a whole bunch of our veterans outreach programs, veteran scholarship winners. They just did a little circle up in the hallway and they had yeah. this impromptu mentoring session. And that's the kind of thing, it just doesn't happen virtually. I mean, if you've ever tried to, you know, have those pre-meeting chats on Zoom, it's not the same. It's not you know, the same. It, and it doesn't really work because somebody usually pops in halfway through and you have to stop what you're saying. Yes, exactly. With their microphone off mute and, yeah. you know, the ambulance goes by. Oh, that's usually me. I'm in New York. It's noisy. <laughs> now, that's been a big focus, I've noticed, with DRI. There were a lot of veterans, a lot of men and women who were at your conference who were getting ready to, you know, end their service or retire and were transitioning into the private sector and spent a lot of time with those men and women. That was fantastic. Like, how did that become kind of a, a priority or why is that important to you and to DRI? Sure. So we started up the foundation, which is a, a charitable institute as opposed to DRI International. It's also a nonprofit, but it's a profe professional organization focused on certification and training. The foundation was about outreach. <clears throat> and one of the things that we had heard consistently was that there were not enough people to fill jobs in the business continuity community. And they were always looking for talent. And then at the same time, we had a lot of returning veterans that started in the US. So returning from Iraq, returning from Afghanistan with really uh, great skill sets that map to what they would be doing in a business continuity job. But they didn't necessarily know how to translate that. Because, you know, the military uses an awful lot of acronyms. I mean, we do yeah. too, but you got to translate acronym <laughs> yes. to acronym, right? So we were thinking we can definitely help with this. So we identified, a, you know, a, a committee of people who had successfully made that transition to help us put together a scholarship program. And our idea was that we would allow these veterans, if there was an open seat in class, we would give them a scholarship. They have, they have an application process. They come to the class, um, they take the exam and they get their application all free. We cover that. We've done this to date for over a thousand veterans, wow. which has been That's really, great. really exciting. Yes, um, US, Canadian, also UK veterans. So, so it is an international initiative. And more recently building on that, we actually do training on basis. So that's been really cool where we actually go to the veterans where they are um, and help them as they're actively making that transition and, and kind of mentor them through that process of translating, you know, their experience. And then we try our best to, to keep up with them once they get a job and see how they're doing. And we just did a profile of a veteran scholarship winner who's uh, now at Walmart um, recently. Yeah, that's such an amazing program to me because one, you're helping people who serve their country transition to the private sector. And two, we've had conversations in our profession for years about how do we get people into our 
profession. Where do they come from? A lot of us just kind of fell into it. We were tapped on the shoulder and you have these people who've served in uh, the military who have skill sets that are very very similar to the private sector business continuity and resilience. Yeah, around the time when we were setting this up, I actually had an intern in the DRI office who was, I teach at NYU, he was one of my students in that program, and he was uh, um, retiring from active duty as well, and he got it immediately, right from the interview. Usually yeah. I have to do a lot of explaining and a lot of training. He was like, oh yeah, I know, and it was great, <laughs> and so I, I could really see it even in my office directly how that experience translates. So what other things is uh, DRI looking uh, at in the future? You know, any other ideas, initiatives that maybe are, are floating out there, like you'd like to branch out a little bit more? Or Well, there's a lot of things going on uh, right now. So first of all, I just have to say that the cyber resilience training and certification is just growing at a, at a fast clip. So whether it's with us or in other ways, it's, I think, very important for business continuity professionals to be well-versed yeah. in cyber resilience issues. That's the future, and we just see that in the numbers. So cyber resilience is really, really big for us. The professional practices for business continuity management have just been revised. Okay. So we're in the process of redoing all of our core materials, all of our exams, our certification applications. That, that's good to know because I'm a D, uh, certification commissioner for DRI Canada. So that's good to know. <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll have a lot of conversations about it tomorrow at the DRI Canada meeting. <laughs> so they've been totally revised and we're now starting that process of revising the course materials, which has been, been going great. It's really exciting. And the last time they were revised in 20, was in 2017. And I think something happened in the last <laughs> years, something, something in the news, yeah. that might affect things. So we'll see a lot of changes and I will tease that the biggest changes came to professional practice five, which deals with incident response. So there's a lot coming. We will do a, a version of our short course again this year, which is called What's New in Business Continuity. And the idea of that is it's like a half day class for people who've been certified a long time who just want to know kind of the changes. So that was very popular last time around. We'll do that again this year. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and then also we've been doing some more research with uh, Harvard University's National Preparedness Leadership Initiative. You may remember that we put out some uh, two white papers last year on COVID-19 lessons learned. Mm -hmm. And so we were thinking, okay, what's an area where we can really be of help that people kind of need some guidance and and one of these areas that we've seen from a lot of our certified professionals and board members is that they've been very involved in the conversation around climate related financial disclosure so as companies are looking to put out more information about how, how climate change impacts their operations the sustainability team has somehow found their way over to the business continuity people and they're going do you know how extreme weather impacts our operations? And the business continuity team usually goes, yeah, how many decades do you want? <laughs> so a lot of these conversations are being had, but they're all kind of reinventing the wheel. So what we're going to do um, in partnership with Harvard is, is go to a number of uh, organizations and kind of figure out how they're doing it and then hopefully put out a white paper with some concrete ideas for where to start this conversation and, and kind of how to frame it. So stay tuned for that. There'll be a couple sessions at our conference next year and then um, some white papers to follow. Now, we've noticed the last two years, you've been interviewed by a lot of national media outlets in the United States that maybe wouldn't have paid attention to our profession prior to COVID. Are you seeing or are you having more conversations or meeting with executives or non 
EC professionals and, and what are what are you discussing in those conversations? Yeah, so actually I spend a lot of my time uh, reaching out and advocating on behalf of the profession, talking to people outside of it. That's kind of what I see as my role primarily. And so a lot of it is with the media, but then a lot of what is not kind of doesn't find its way online is the conversation with C-suite executives. And I do a lot of speaking. I just did uh, um, a, a speech for a group of CFOs and treasury professionals, and they came to us and they wanted a briefing on business continuity because they see it as super, super important. Um, for CFOs to really get an understanding of business continuity. These are people that we want also to have an understanding. Absolutely. Yep, uh -huh. I will be having a conversation with um, a group of supply chain CEOs who work in you know, shipping logistics, uh, transportation. They obviously have a great need for robust business continuity and understand the value of it. Because I think we've also had some supply chain issues over the last <laughs> few years. So yeah. they certainly see the value too. Um, so I, I do spend a lot of time talking to the C-suite and to boards. Um, I talked to some uh, various, um, I spoke at another conference. I was invited to sit on a panel, which was a, this is an association for specifically board members of public companies. So it was a large number of board directors who sit, sit on different public boards. And they all, again, wanted to know a lot more about this. So I would say that the, the value has been demonstrated and proven and, um, you know, I think it's just going to continue in that direction as people see it, not just as something that is a cost center or something that is a, a tick pocket box exercise, but something that is really a strategic value. Is that one of the biggest changes you've seen over the last few years? I've definitely <clears throat> seen an uptick in it. You know, like right away, March 2020, I'm starting to do interviews, webinars, all kinds of stuff. You would, you would probably be amazed some of the inquiries that came in to us from organizations where you go you really had nothing wait but nothing 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 all right <laughs> let's see what we can do let's see if we can you know um find some people within the profession who can kind of help you out with that mm -hmm. certainly we can so we try to be a resource as much as we can and just make sure that people know that they can come to us and that we can serve as a platform for this whole profession and kind of point them to the resources that they need and you're putting on conferences like this where you bring people together for that because you have the i i saw it this morning it was either yesterday or today you have a a discussion too don't you yeah you i was present? on a panel yesterday afternoon it was yesterday afternoon obviously afternoon. you were there listening the whole time you found we, tremendous value in it we've been in the booth we were here well, i'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah what did you what was the what did you speak on yeah. yesterday so we had a conversation in general about where the profession is going and what skills people need to be thinking about, you know, how they're engaging or not engaging with associations. Uh, we talked about the value of in-person because, you know, DRI, like I said, we're the platform for the profession, but we don't do that in community face-to-face -face networking. We can't. Mm -hmm. That's for the, the associations with chapters. And so we think that the work that they do is vital. And I really hope that people will start to go back to in-person that cadence has definitely been disrupted as people are working from home. It's much easier to like go to a lunch or go to a happy hour when you're already at the office and you stop by on your way home. But now if people are working from home, then they have to like, you know, put on pants and go to the <laughs> professional association events. So um, I think that new rhythm needs to be found because that in-person interaction is just vital in any profession. Yeah, I think we're very thankful that you're an advocate for the profession outside of the profession. It's one thing for us within the house 
to tell each other how important we are. But like you said, speaking in front of CFOs, speaking in front of executives, some of those higher level decision makers, it's important that we have advocacy with them. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so thank you very much for all that you're doing for us. And it's my pleasure. Getting the message out. And um, if people want more information on DRI, they just go to DRI. DRII.org. Um, you can find it on our website. LinkedIn is a great place for, for that as well. We put out as much as we can on social media as well. So we're doing our part. And we always want to hear from professionals about you know what they want more of, what we need to be uh, putting out, what would be useful. And I believe there is a LinkedIn group too. It's not just LinkedIn you know, post messages, but there's a LinkedIn group for DRI Canada, uh, DRI Canada and DRI. There is, and there's well. a special one for um, master's professionals as well. They have their own. Oh, there you go. And for our colleagues who are planning their calendars for next year, the DRI conference is in Austin. Yes, it is. Late February. Late February, February 26th to March 1st. Um, I've been wanting to take this conference to Austin for a long time. This hotel is brand new. They finally built one special fit for purpose for us. So we're really thrilled. Well, we look forward to it. Yes. Well, thank you both. Thank See you, you so much. Thank you so much for stopping by, Chloe. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you, Chloe. We appreciate it. We appreciate your time. Enjoy the rest of the conference. You too.